Welcome to this week's energy show, and welcome to our most commonly asked question, how the heck do I read my electric bill now that I have solar in storage? Now, standard electric bills are hard enough to read, but when you have solar in storage, you almost need a degree in forensic accounting to figure them out. Now, we'll discuss the different rates, energy metering or NEM, and the kooky back and forth charges that make your head spin, and I strongly recommend that you listen to a more detailed and incredibly exciting energy show that we recorded about electric bills in October of 2019. That goes into page-by-page detail of how to read a bill. For this one, we're going to be looking at it a little bit higher level. And you have to forgive my cynicism about these electric bills. We're pretty much completely stuck with the ridiculous charges from our utility. With solar and battery storage, you can completely eliminate your electric bill, but you have to put in a system that's big enough to do so. And then utilities will continue to manipulate rates to maximize their profits at ratepayers' expense. They don't really care about the ratepayers. They just want to meet their profit targets and get their bonuses. So without a doubt, the rates are going to continue to go up. Every year we see them. We just saw another increase at the beginning of 2021. Now, here's the other thing that a lot of people say, I paid even more this year on my electric bill. Well, here's the thing. It's kind of elementary. If you used more electricity, more kilowatt hours during the year, this year than last year, then your bill will be higher than you thought. Not only that, because they also raise the rates. Now, without a doubt, with COVID-19 shelter in place, people are home. They're not working at the office. The kids are home. They're watching TV. The pool's running. You got air conditioning going all the time during the summer. Everybody's electric bill went up. So utilities did really, really well for residential energy, and they made a lot of money. Now, flip side of it is the commercial customers, the offices didn't demand as much, but you know we're looking at the home bills here now. To understand how your solar and storage is working, you need to know three things. I tried to boil it down to just these three basic things. First, you need your annual true-up statement. You get this annual true-up statement usually 12 months after your system was interconnected by your utility. This true-up statement is really important because it's going to tell you how much your charges, your charges for energy and other things that they throw in there, and your credits were each month in both kilowatt hours, which is the best way to measure it, and dollars, what you're going to end up paying. So that's the first thing. You need that true-up statement. It's hard to kind of look at what happened without a 12-month set of data. Second, you're going to want to take a look at your total solar energy generation in kilowatt hours, which comes directly from your monitoring system. This is how much your solar system produced. Beware. Do not believe the amount that the utility says you generated. That number is always wrong because the utility considers generation as what they see coming to them, but that's net of what your house uses. So the utility generation number is always way lower than what you actually generate. And then third, you're going to need the projected amount of electricity, once again in kilowatt hours, that your solar and storage contractor expected from your system. When they do an estimate, they say you're going to save you know, 10,000 kilowatt hours a year. You want to take a look and see what that number was and see how you actually performed. We'll talk about more of that later. Now, there's a plethora of different electric rates. Now, utilities are moving towards time of use rates, not a flat rate, not a inclined, declining block rate or expanding block rate. Just time of use rates. In other words, they want to charge you more money for electricity when there's a higher demand for electricity, and they're going to want to charge you less money for electricity when they have surplus extra power. 
And kind of bizarre thing that's happened over the past 15 years, 20 years, it used to be that the most expensive electric rates were during the day because that's when there was the most demand for electricity. Now, with all the solar that's installed in the country, in California, at homes and businesses, the cheapest electric rates are actually in the middle of the day when we have plenty of really cheap solar power. And the most expensive electric rates are at night when even if you have solar, you're not getting any benefit from it. And that's one of the reasons why batteries are doing so well. All right, so as far as electric rates, most solar customers go on either the electric vehicle or EV rate or the latest TOU or time of use rate. And there's all kinds of different flavors of these rates, but those are the two basics that people are on. And we're not going to go into specific rates now because they change so often. And also keep in mind, many utility bills combine electric charges with the gas charges. Pacific Gas and Electric. They sell you both gas and electricity, New Jersey, public service, electric and gas. So it's, it's kind of the same thing. We're only going to be focused on your electric charges. Now, first, this is important. With solar, you go on something called a net energy metering electric plan, NEM or NEM, or sometimes people just say net metering. Now, net metering is a conceptually simple concept, really easy. When your solar system generates more power than your house needs during the day, obviously, the electricity doesn't have anywhere to go. So it just goes backwards through the meter. The meter's numbers actually go down. And those little electrons actually go to your neighbors because they're the ones that are going to kind of consume the electricity first. So the kilowatt hour counts on your meter go down and you're selling power back to the utility at basically the same rate as they charge you. So it's kind of like you're buying and then when you sell it back to them, you're selling back to them at the same rate that they would have charged you. And really, it almost looks like you're just your energy consumption in your house goes down. Now, when solar or solar in storage for people who have batteries is insufficient to meet your home's needs, then the electric meter goes forwards again. So my house, usually my batteries are depleted by around midnight. I'm drawing power. My meter goes up at night. And during the day, usually doesn't, you know, it goes up a little bit, goes down a little bit. In the summer, it goes, it's a net going down. In the winter, it's a net going up. But just kind of in the evening or at night when I don't have any solar, obviously, or battery power, I'm buying power from the utility and my kilowatt hour count on the meter goes up. Okay, so with all this back and forth every day, I mean, sometimes it's you're, you're generating, you're consuming, you're generating, you're consuming, a cloud goes over, you know, you may be consuming at that moment, cloud goes away, lots of sun, now you're selling power back. So the utilities don't issue credits every single month when you generate more electricity than you use. That would kind of drive everybody crazy. Sometimes they'd be sending you checks, sometimes you'd be, you'd be sending them checks. I think really they just never want to send you a check. So what they do is they keep track of the credits and the charges and then your bill is trued up once a year. So once a year they bill you for all the energy that you use for the year net of what you generated. So you're going to want to look for your annual true up statement and it's usually, you know, exactly 12 months or 13 months after when you were interconnected. And then you can see how those charges and credits change throughout the year. Now, most bills also give you a running total of your charges and credits since the last true up statement. So my true up is in June and so in July I have credits July, August, September, October, I had credits throughout those months. And then November, December, January, and February, I am actually using up those credits and I have charges, but at the end of the year, it's still negative. And so I have a negative balance. So just keep an eye on that. One way of thinking about this is for your electric bill, you go on annual billing. 
On your true up statement, you may have a charge for hundreds or even thousands of dollars representing the amount of energy your system did not provide, but they're not going to charge you for that. You're going to wait after on your true up statement, they're going to say, oh, boom, you owe us $500 or you owe us $2,000 at the end of the year because you were a net consumer of energy, but they don't charge you that every month. All right. So it's kind of easy. Although you'll still get the bill. You'll still have to pay your gas bill. You still may have to pay a little $10 standby charge or so, but you're not going to get charged $100, $200, $500 a month for electricity. They're going to defer that kind of annual billing. Okay, so some caveats for net metering, just things to keep in mind. Just as you get charged different amounts for electricity at different times of the day, you're going to get different credits at different times of the day and different times of the year. So because the rates change throughout the day, when you're selling power back in the middle of the day, you might get one you know, maybe you're getting credits at 16 cents. And if you're selling power back in a summer afternoon at four o'clock, you might be getting a credit of 47 cents. Although that sun's not going to keep going for long because it's going to get dark. So these things change throughout the day based on whatever electric rate you're on. Now also, this is where it gets really complicated, but it gets even, <laughs> even worse. But this one's a pain in the neck. You no longer get 100% credit for the energy you sell back. So this is something that in California started with net metering 2.0. Originally, it was net metering 1.0. That went from like you know, 2000 to 2015 or 2016. And then we're on net metering 2.0. Next year, we're going to go on net metering 3.0, even though those details haven't been worked out. On net metering 2.0, they hold back a few cents a kilowatt hour for something that they call non-bypassable charges. And sometimes the TLA or the three-letter acronym is NBC. So I'll try and explain this. This is, you know, one of those pain in the neck things. Now, these NBC, these non-bypassable charges, are charges that related to previous utility disasters that they still need to pay back. So basically, instead of giving you a credit, so say 30 cents a kilowatt hour, they might give you a credit of 27 cents a kilowatt hour. They hold back three cents a kilowatt hour. Sometimes it's two, sometimes it's three. And these are those non-bypassable charges. Now, what's the rationale for these non-bypassable charges? Well, PG&E went bankrupt the first time in 2001, and the state had to bail them out with these bonds. And so those charges are still on my bill. They'll supposedly go away sometime this year. And then last year, 2020, they went bankrupt again. So there's going to be more charges on our electric bill to pay for the fact that PG&E went bankrupt and the state had to bail them out. And there's things like nuclear plant decommissioning. So when they shut down nuclear plants, it costs billions of dollars and can take 20 or 30 years to clean them up. We get charged for that cleanup work. And they have something called a competitive transition charge. And this is one of those things where hey, utilities built all these power plants. I mean, they were building plants even five years ago. Now they're obsolete because solar and storage and wind are so much cheaper. But the utilities still want to capture the original profits they expected to get from those plants. Those plants were going to last 30, 40 years. Even though these plants are completely, they're not worthless. They're not economic anymore. It costs more to run those plants than to use solar and storage and wind. So what do they do? They somehow managed to convince the Public Utilities Commission, the state, to charge customers for their lost profits because they made bad decisions, bad investments. And even the state tried to talk them out of those things, and the utilities still want to build those assets. Why? There's a complicated reason, but the reason is they get a return on their assets. So the more assets they have, the more profit they get to take. And now when those assets turn out to be worthless piles of junk, they charge us more for them. 
So somehow the utilities get away with charging you for their old problems. They went bankrupt. We pay more. They have CCA competitors. We pay more. They made bad power plant decisions. We pay more. It reminds me of the saying in uh, The History of the World Part 1 from Mel Brooks. It's good to be the king. Utilities kind of have the state wrapped around their finger. All right, now let's go through a typical electric bill. On the first page of your bill, there's usually some kind of minimum charge. It's about $10 a month in PG&E territory. You get billed that amount every month, but these minimum charges can also be wiped out if your bill is negative for the year. So let's say it's 10 bucks a month, and if your true up is more than $120 negative, so let's say you had $150 negative amount that they owed you, they might write you a check if you're lucky for 30 bucks, and you won't have to pay those $10 a month charges. So that's a little charge, and you have to pay it every single month along with your gas bill. And they'll credit you for that amount if your net energy for the year is negative. All right, next on your bill, and on PG&E bills, at least on the most recent one I got, this is pages three and four. It's a summary of your net metering charges. Page two is just a bunch of worthless fine print. But on pages three and four, they talk about the net metering charges, and it summarizes in the right-hand column how much credit or outstanding balances you have. So they kind of keep a running total of that. And then each month, there's usually a credit, which is shown as a negative amount in summer, and a charge, usually positive, in the winter. That's what happens with me. I generate big credits in the summer. And I generate big charges in the winter. And ideally, if the solar system is sized properly, the winter charges will be about the same as the summer credits. And now also because we have time of use billing, these charges and credits are also broken out during the time periods that they occur. So I have credits generated during the day at a relatively low rate and charges generated at night at a relatively high rate. But the good thing is I have batteries. So when you have batteries, you won't have very big charges at night because you're running off battery power. You save a lot of money that way. Okay. And then you'll also, next you're going to see, and at least on the PG&E bill, and they've done a pretty good job over the years of, of making these bills in some ways graphically easy to understand, except the acronyms drive you crazy, but they have some bar charts on there. And the bar charts on the net metering sections of your bill are pretty instructive because you can kind of see throughout the year how you're doing. You're going to see that credit balance go up in the summer and you're going to see it kind of peak in you know June, July, and then you're going to see that credit balance go down and there'll be charges in the winter. You shouldn't be surprised if you look at your bill and you're going to know about what your true up charge is going to be. You know, you have to save up money because you're going to get a $2,000 bill because you went crazy with your electricity during COVID or if it's only going to be like two or 300. Okay, next in your bill, and currently this is pages five and six for PG&E, it has the details of your monthly charges. And this is where it shows what your particular electric rate is, what your meter number is, some other miscellaneous charges, And also usually a statement of exactly how much electricity you use measured in kilowatt hours. And it's also going to show how much they incorrectly said you generated. So ignore that generation number from PG&E or from your utility. It's just going to drive you crazy. So, and here's why. I'll explain it. Your utility has no idea how much electricity your solar system generates. They have a meter that sees how much your house buys, and also they can see how much your house is sending back to them. So that meter just knows how much you use and how much you send back, not how much your solar generates. The generation amount that shows up on your electric bill is the extra amount of electricity you sent back after the electricity that your house used. That's the amount that was kind of for the year net metered. So here's an example. Let's say your house is generating 5,000 watts from your rooftop solar system. 5,000 watts going into your house. But inside your house, 
you're running, you know, just a few things. Maybe you're running the dryer. You got a bunch of lights on. The house is using only 3,000 watts. So 2,000 watts are going backwards to the utility. Now, utility is saying that your solar system generated 2,000 watts since this is what their meter shows. But when you look at your solar monitoring system, you see that you're really generating 5,000 watts. That's what's recorded. And that's the number from your monitoring system that you need to know in order to see how well your system's working. Okay, so we talked about the non-bypassable charges. Now we're going to talk about another crazy one. I hope you're sitting down for this next confusing page of your bill. This is the one that just hit us over the past two or three years, and it's really driving everybody crazy because it's a lot of much ado about nothing. It shows the details of your community choice aggregation or CCA charges. CCA is community choice aggregation. And there are many of these CCAs around the country. I'm on a CCA in San Jose called the San Jose Clean Energy CCA. That's the city of San Jose's little mini electric company. They provide the electricity. Our office is in Campbell. We're on Silicon Valley Clean Energy CCAs. And we have customers in Marin or in San Mateo, not Marin anymore. We have customers in San Mateo that are on Peninsula Clean Energy. But Marin has Marin Clean Energy and there's Alameda Clean Energy. And these are kind of municipally owned utilities. All they do is buy electricity from solar and wind farms cheaply. And then they distribute it through the utility lines. And so the utility handles all the billing, they handle all the maintenance, but the utility is saying, hey, you know, we're taking care of the transmission costs, the distribution costs, the local wire management, all that stuff. But your electricity in San Jose or Campbell, Silicon Valley, or in San Mateo is actually provided by your local CCA. And so basically this is an in and out on your bill. It's just information that will confuse everybody. The good thing about CCAs is because their overhead is lower and they're smarter and they buy electricity more effectively. They buy it on the open market. They contract for it, but they buy it smartly. Their electricity generation costs are lower than what the utility has been charging you. It's because the utilities would charge you for this nuclear power plant or this coal plant or this gas plant. It might cost them 10 cents a kilowatt hour to generate electricity. You can go out on a solar farm right now in California and buy electricity for two or three cents a kilowatt hour. That's what the CCAs did. So it's kind of interesting what happens is you kind of go back and forth and you have these CCA charges that should be lower, much lower than the utilities would have charged you for the electric bill. So when you look at your electric bill, you've got your CCA charges. That's the cost of the electricity that you're using. That's just the electricity cost. That's what the CCAs buy for. And then layered on top of that, are all their other utility charges, transmission charges from long-distance wires, distribution charges for substations, and paying for the utility workers driving around in trucks and fixing things. And so that's why your bill is so high. And these transmission, distribution, and other charges can be five times more than the electricity generation charges. So get this. The CCAs and the utilities generate electricity. They can buy power from wind and solar farms for two or three cents a kilowatt hour. They then charge six or seven cents a kilowatt hour to customers. They make some money to mark it up and there's some other costs there. They got to make a little bit of profit. But the T&D charges and all the other charges crammed into your bill can add another 25 or 30 cents. So you're paying five times more than kind of the retail electricity generation charges. Now, how much does it cost for you to generate solar on your roof? seven or eight cents with storage, maybe 10 cents. So once again, how come we're paying on an average of 30 or 40 cents a kilowatt hour for electricity? It's because the utility can kind of 
get away with charging you for that. They charge you for all these other expenses that aren't really justified. All right. And so once again, when you look at your bill, these CCA charges are usually negative in the summer when you generate more power than you consume and positive in the winter. Now, quick note about CCAs, because we have customers that say, oh, you know, the CCA is a pain in the neck. I don't want to have electricity from another entity. And I kind of understand that concept. But every time I've looked at it, the CCAs have always been a little bit cheaper, you know, one or two cents a kilowatt hours cheaper than your electric utility because they buy power better. They don't mark it up as much and they just operate more efficiently. So the problem is with the CCAs, your bill gets really complicated, but just ignore that whole CCA thing because it'll just drive you crazy. And if you really want to be a stickler about it, you can try and figure it out. And you're going to find that you're getting power cheaper from your CCA. You can decide to buy your electricity, your electrons directly from your utility. It's not worth the aggravation. All right, now we go down the crazy ripoff economics of utilities. When these CCAs came out, the utilities lobbied the California government to give them extra money because when CCAs sell cheaper electricity, the utility profits are less than they expected. And so I got to say this, I got to you know fess up. Although I mentioned pg a lot, they're one of the best utilities when it comes to being somewhat solar friendly. But they, PG&E, really tried to kill the CCAs when they got started. About 10 years ago, they spent $42 million lobbying against the CCAs becoming legally possible in California. Luckily, they lost. And after that, you know, the CCAs have popped up. And I would say within the next few years, most of the citizens in California are going to get their electricity from CCAs. They're still going to pay astronomical bills to their utility for the other factors that I mentioned, transmission, distribution, profits, all that other stuff. But the raw electricity generation costs are going to be lower. So here's the thing. In addition to the CCA electricity charges, PG&E gets to add on another 15% to the CCA charges for their lost profits. So they call this a power charge indifference adjustment. So this Power charge indifference adjustment is kind of like competition transition charge. It's basically, there's competition. Now the competition is a CCA, this city or municipally owned utility, and the utilities get to charge more money. They mark that up so that their profits aren't affected. It kind of clobbers the whole concept of CCAs because CCAs have to be squeezed even more to make money. But basically, the Public Utility Commission decided to give PG&E extra money, all utilities extra money, so they're indifferent about losing business to CCAs, while the utility still gets to make their guaranteed 10% profit. So your electric bill actually has three extra charges to make up for the old-fashioned utility business model. They sneak this stuff in. The first is the non-bypassable charges, things like nuclear decommissioning and their prior bankruptcies, and they also pay for some public purpose programs like energy efficiency. The second is this thing called the competition transition charge. That's for when they built power plants that are no longer economically feasible. And then the third is this power charge indifference adjustment, which is to make up for their lost profits when CCAs, a more efficient competitor, came to the market. All right, now that you know how to read your electric bill, here's the information you need to evaluate the performance of your solar and battery storage system. Now let's summarize, we talked about it earlier, let's summarize the three key pieces of information you need. First, you need to know the net kilowatt hour usage from your true up statement. Now, there are usually positive charges and negative credits. So let's say the sum for the year that you saw on your true up statement was that you had a charge of 2,000 kilowatt hours for the year. According to the utility, you used 2,000 kilowatt hours for the year. The second bit of information you need to know 
is the energy output in kilowatt hours from your solar and storage system. Always talking about kilowatt hours because we disconnect the kookiness that happens with electric rates. So let's say the total generation when you look at your systems monitoring was 13,000 kilowatt hours for the year. And the third, you need to know, just to see how good a job your contractor did, the expected energy output from your system when you bought the system. So let's say your solar contractor estimated 12,000 kilowatt hours for the past year. This is how much energy your system would generate. And, you know, a lot of times what the contractors do is they say, all right, and we do the same thing. It's like, okay, let's try and design a system so that your bill is about zero. We want to generate as much electricity as your house uses in the previous year. It usually works out really well. And just so you know, the average in the U.S. is about 1,000 kilowatt hours per month for energy consumption. Average house uses 1,000 kilowatt hours a month. You know, if you're in a really hot, sunny area, Phoenix, maybe you're going to use more. Actually, here in a lot of the Bay Area, the climate's pretty mellow, and so the average is in the Bay Area a little bit less. All right, so now let's kind of go through the numbers. The amount of electricity your home used in the past year is the kilowatt hours billed by your utility or 2,000 kilowatt hours for the year. So that's what the utility said you bought from them for the year, plus the kilowatt hours generated by your solar system, or 13,000 kilowatt hours. So in this case, your house used 2,000 kilowatt hours, that's what the utility said, and your system generated 13,000 kilowatt hours. So your house really used 15,000 kilowatt hours for the year. Okay, so now, how did your solar contractor do with their estimates? Well, the contractor estimated that the system would generate 12,000 kilowatt hours for the year, and the system generated 13,000. Good contractor. They overestimated it, a little conservative, by 8%. So you generated 8% more electricity than you expected. That's great. Now, note that these system outputs go down a little bit every year because of dirt on the panels, and sometimes there's a little bit of degradation of the equipment, and then you got the whole weather fluctuation thing going on, which you can't figure out. But if you look at your generation, I can pretty much guarantee if you're not doing a good job of washing your panels sometime in the summer or the spring, your output's going to gradually go down. Now, so now you may wonder why your house used 15,000 kilowatt hours for the year when you really expected it would only use 12,000 kilowatt hours. So... Hey, when your contractor came by and put the system and they said, well, it looks like you used 1,000 kilowatt hours a month, 12,000 for the years. We'll put in a system that's going to generate 12,000 kilowatt hours. Why did it go up to 15,000? Simple. Shelter in place during COVID caused almost everybody's electric bills to go up, sometimes way up. You're using more appliances. You're using more lighting. You have the air conditioning and the heating going all day. More computers, more entertainment use. So it just goes way up. You got to be realistic about that. That's why it's always important to look at the kilowatt hour consumption of your house, not look at the dollar amount. Of course, the dollar amount is going to go up, but sometimes that's biased by the increase in electric rates. Okay. So to wrap up, here are the key three things that I want you to remember. First, keep an eye on the performance of your solar system. How? Just look at your monitoring system. Look at it every once in a while. Look at it every week or two. And it's good to look at the monitoring on an annual basis. Obviously, look at it once you get your monthly bill. But the only way to really figure out how well it's performing is looking at it on an annualized basis because that takes out the monthly weather fluctuations. I mean, heck, this year we had a lot of smoke in one month and it was foggy. It's just very weird weather. Also, bizarrely, when it's hot, the output of the system is lower than when it's cool. So... As global warming gets worse and worse, the efficiency of the solar system is going to go down because it's going to get warmer. So that's one. Keep an eye on the performance of your system. 
Obviously, you're going to look at your electric bill and you might be surprised if you see a really big spike in a bill. Better look at your monitoring, see if the system is working right. The second thing to remember is your utility misrepresents the generation of your solar system. The only accurate solar generation data comes from your monitoring system. What your utility says you generated is really the net amount you generated after what your home used. Okay, and the third is track the kilowatt hour usage and charges for your solar and battery systems. So the dollar amounts will always go up gradually because electric rates are rising and utilities play tricks to maximize their profits with all these goofy charges. And I would say, if for some reason your monthly generation in any one month is down by more than 10% or so compared to the same month in the prior year, so don't compare April to March because you're going to generate more energy in April because it's sunnier than March. But look at April 2021 compared to April 2020. And that's how you can really tell how the system's working. All right. And so finally, if your solar system is working properly, you can see on your monitoring, but your bill is too high. Here's what you can do. Make sure your system is clean and in good working order. And if everything's running right and you get a good solar contractor, they'll be able to evaluate it. You might need to add more solar panels if you have roof space. And that's a good idea to add a battery backup system. So you have backup power during the next blackout and you can generate additional savings by time shifting your energy use. Okay, that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts.